Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Boom. Whoop. There it is. That was the sound of 134, episode 134 of the AB Testing Podcast, hitting your podcast player. Because I finally got almost, almost everyone switched over to the new feed. For some reason, of course, if you're on the old feed, you're not getting any new episodes. But I had like 11 or 15 or some small number of plays still last week from the old feed. Like they were catching up. I, I like that as a as a model for the a model for the podcast, A B testing podcast, where we almost get it right sometimes, maybe. Hey, uh, perfect is the enemy of good, right? <laughs> it it is. Have you ever heard of uh, the eighty eighty rule? The eighty eighty rule? No. What is the eighty eighty rule? Eighty eighty rule is eighty percent of the value comes from eighty percent of the effort. The other 80% of the value comes from the remaining 20% of the effort. I know you're a, a math guy and you're going to think about that and it's going to make sense someday. What do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm sticking by the 80-80 rule. All right. We're going to go with that. And that is not <laughs> going to be anything I call out in the show notes, which... Uh, so yeah, uh, we are here recording on a Friday afternoon on Friday, Friday. Friday, February. The only thing I'm drinking is a tall can of cold brewed coffee. Uh, Friday, February 19th should be out on Monday. Uh, next Wednesday, uh, I'm doing a webinar. Yay! Yay, and I'm talking about, uh, a lot of you remember an article I posted on blog.testproject.io about a month ago on the developer versus the tester mindset and how I thought that was crap. And we talked about that on a podcast, probably 132, I think. And I'm giving a uh, webinar talking about that. It's a reha- it's, it's, it's about- a multimedia experience of the article I wrote with more examples. Of course, the audience is all going to be testers. And I imagine the audience will all be there with pitchforks. So, you know, should be a good time. Yeah. And here, as a, as a, as a tease... Alex or Alex, that's my son's name. Alan, my God, I'm old. Alan uh, is is finally going to show support for checking. I'm not even that. That was such a poorly baited hook. I'm not even going to think of biting. People are very subtle. I get direct messages on LinkedIn from folks saying, your article is misleading because it mentions the word testing when you really mean checking. It's con- and I am not kidding. They, my latest article I just posted, again, on uh, blog.testproject.io about test automation, which is pretty much the written version of our last podcast, more or less, with some better grammar and spelling. If you can misspell during a podcast, we would know how to do it. Anyway, the title was the title had the word test in it. And they pinged me and said, this article is not about testing. It's about test automation. You should call that out. And I did a quick little search and I replied back and I said, did you notice that the article has the word test automation or automated test 40 
This is not a made-up, exaggerated podcast name. I counted 40 instances in a 1,200-word article. I think it's clear that the article was about test automation. And the day I call it check automation actually is never. The only way that could happen is if I died and someone reanimated me as an evil robot. So anyway, that's my (laughs) life. So I'm doing the webinar. I will handle the pitchforks gracefully. And again, this goes back to episode one of the A-B testing. I'm not dictating that this is all going to change, and neither is Brent. We're here to help people navigate the change. The webinar folks are really excited to have me do it. There's good. It was their idea to do the webinar. And they said, hey, and be a little careful because our audience is testers. And I will be, of course, but it's about letting, just giving them information to help them navigate the change. Two itty bitty bits of information to share about the podcast. One is the webinar. None of this planned. Not in my notes. <laughs> uh, one is that this is test project, the test automation project or, or program, which I've used in the past. I did some blog posts on it a while back. It's super easy to use. It's it's a nice platform. I have subtly hinted both in my last article and in talking to these folks, they should market these tools towards developers and not just testers. And they are, that is in their plans. They're going to start marketing harder to developers, which I think is great. I think tools like Cypress and Test Cafe do already. And I think all of the test tool vendors in the industry should market a little more heavily towards developers. In fact, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned, I am good friends with the folks at Audify who make yet another recorded test automation. We'll make our tests not flaky via via ML and AI, uh, basically just to find out when. It, it works pretty well. Uh, it's It makes me much less afraid of UI automation, but they have companies come to them and say they want to do, well, oh yeah, we want to do a whole bunch of automation. They go, these guys, they get it because they're developers. They're trying to market to developers and testers and teams and say, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, just... You, you shouldn't do that. You should write a whole bunch of tests that don't need web UI verification and just use this for the things that can only be tested using web UI verification. Anyway, we've been on that <laughs> hill before. The other thing is a uh, test project was acquired a year ago, six months ago by a larger company called Tricentis. Not heard of it. Okay. Well, that is, if you go look at, I think the last James Buck post to web post from roughly a year ago, he was going to work at Tricentis. I don't know if he's still there. He's been pretty quiet and generally he gets quiet when he's busy working. So he could be very much so still working there. Uh, I don't know if he'll show up at my podcast to heckle, but I actually don't care if he does because I don't think he'll have anything to argue with in what I say. But wanted to mention all that. Small world, small world. Okay. One more rant, if you don't mind, then we can do the topic for the day. Yeah. Or, or do you actually want to say anything? I, I, or So I didn't tag you on Twitter, but and we're not videocast. I haven't done that in a while. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. But uh, I did I did send out an Instagram and a tweet. Insta and a tweet right before we recorded. And for, you guys can't see me, but Brent, I can't see his face because he's had his hand over his face the whole time. But he's clean shaven, and I, on the other hand, have stopped shaving completely. And I think if all goes well, we kick Brent off of the podcast and the B and AB testing begins to stand for Alan's beard.
it's be me and my beard. I'm practicing <laughs> while I'm monopolizing the recording time. Yeah. I I I think that's a, a, a potentially a great way to to boost listenership. Right? I, I your your beard is clearly very wise. Clearly, clearly. It makes me look older and smarter. Hey, I have a question for you. Yeah. This is a multiple choice question. You're good at these. We've done this before. All right, here we go. What false assumption should you beware of when striving for continuous quality? A, quality should be assured by tests conducted by a dedicated team. B, quality is primarily a marketing asset and yields few other benefits. Or C, the more bugs that are found and fixed, the better the quality. Oh my God. Is is D none of the above? Wait, say B again. Quality is primarily a marketing asset and yields few other benefits. uh, And then A? Quality should be assured by tests conducted by a dedicated team. Well, with, I mean, all of those options suck, but if I have to pick one, I'll pick B. All right. Well, your, uh, your friends at Microsoft who made this little quiz uh, said that C is the correct answer, that, that's a fa- that the more bugs that are found and fixed, the better the quality is the false assumption about continuous quality. Therefore, the, oh, other, oh, therefore oh. the other, others must be true. It's a very yeah. confusing question. Uh, I wanted to highlight that. It gets, gets the WTF of the day. Yeah, it, it it really is missing a all of the above option. It is exactly right. Hey, so today on the podcast, did you? Have Where's the add? link to that? Where's the link to that thing? I, I just have the graphic, and it's in one of the three You can join by going to moderntesting.org, clicking on the link, and it's in the rants channel, where lots of folks post. Um, Stuff that pisses them off. Okay, well, Brent looks this, at that. Oh, you're gonna say did this th- come out? You will. You will have to talk to Yost. That's all I can say. That's all I know. I saw it today. It was worth reading. You need to do your research ahead of the podcast. I have books all over my table. A website's open. I have done my research. <laughs> I'm also lying. Uh, absolutely, you're lying. I'm like, uh, do the research before the podcast. We we don't know the topics until five minutes after the podcast has started. One of my favorite lines ever in comedy is from John Mulaney. I won't go. I won't tell the whole story. Blah 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 blah. I said no. You know, like a liar. Okay. For some reason, that line just—I I just love it. It sticks in my head all the time. I lie, which I guess is good, uh, or it means I lie a lot. So anyway, topic. And if you're gonna, you're gonna be eating through the whole podcast, or just like during part of the recording. I was thinking the whole one is that is that good I mean, for you? There are seven days a week. All I need is like twenty for one hour. For one hour in two weeks of time, I ask you to not be shoving crap in your face. But no, I can't do it, man. It's too hard. Further further evidence for for this whole beard program. Hey, so uh, we always we frequently we frequently use 
stuff Alan's doing at work to talk about, to delve into topics that are seem relevant for the three. But uh, I want to use talking about what you do at work to talk about what I do at work to benefit the three. Because I don't think, while I think the three probably can describe what I do, or at least what my responsibilities are pretty well, all they know is Brent sits in a desk and does math. Like, what is your role? You manage a data science team, is that correct? Yeah. And is yeah. it all top secret stuff you can't talk about? And that's fine. But what does like what are the outputs of your team? Who consumes your stuff? Tell 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 the three a little bit more uh, under the appropriate NDA on what you do. So I have two key missions. One is essentially we have customers who are in pain. We have customers who have problems. And that, that second mission is around how do we apply? So my, my portion of that mission is the, is the application of data science with the goal of match making solutions to problems uh, as, as soon as possible in the user's journey on the platform. Um, <clears throat> so is, is there a not, is there a, a fair to share example of that you can share? Um, well, so the other thing I was going to say is, so my team is a much further along uh, on that mission than my second mission. And we actually own and operate microservices where that are ML powered that plug into uh, particular elements of the portal of the Azure portal itself. So one one aspect, for example, if you if you're on Azure and uh, you go in and and create a support ticket, uh, you, you begin the process to create a support ticket. Uh, there's a system that will give you a recommendation as to uh, what topic you're actually uh, should should move forward with uh, the, the very our very first pain in the wizard is is sort of specifying the 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 topic that sort of uh, encapsulates the problem space, and that's a that that service is entirely my team. Uh, there's there's another one that we operate that. Uh, helps. So in the case, I'm actually trying to decide if this is an NDA thing. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> we have another service that when customers have a certain type of problem, we give them, we give them a very concrete and direct alternative uh, to them. Uh, they, they, there's a specific problem that they could face. And there's, there's no way to move forward in their ideal scenario. So we are able to uh, give them al an alternative to what they were doing. And uh, that second one, the first one is great because um, I, I ran a, a t uh, essentially a small little team. And that one is the first one is a very tight scenario. And but my team is very proud of it because we are operating at Microsoft scope and and helping to solve Microsoft level problems. Uh, the second one 
<clears throat> is a real customer bummer. Uh, it's a, it's it's in terms of Azure itself, it's it's a rather rare event, but in terms, uh, but it does happen daily, and this particular that one has actually helped to to get customers a faster solution and able to move forward um, and directly reduced uh, the number of cases, the support cases for that particular problem by 40%. Oh, that's all, that, that's great. So yeah. most of your stuff, it sounds like from you talking about, you can correct me if I misinterpreted this, but it is not customer visible directly, but it's, in, it's, it's stuff that runs in production that actually runs behind the scenes to help other stuff work. Uh, it's, 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 um, or is it internal? That, that was unclear to me. So all of the services that we're operating right now, uh, and again, it's the two, and we have a couple more about to ship, they're, they're behind highly secured REST APIs. Okay. So, so yeah. But the, the user visible components will directly show uh, the results in a more user friendly way, but it is a REST API. I'm not, I'm not generating the UI or whatever. But still, and that the, REST API is accessible by customers as well as internal developers. Uh, the REST API directly is not. We're, we're very tight on, on controlling okay. who, who gets to call it. All right. So you are, and, and the reason for my precision questioning is the topic I wanted to get to is talk about orgs, uh, like test orgs, like the org I run, like the org you run, that we exist to help other parts of the org be successful. Is that statement correct? Does that high-level description of both of our orgs put us in the same part of the Venn diagram? If you'd asked me two years ago, that, that I would have immediately said yes. As you, as you know, Alan, I think uh, the Dennis Science fad is at the beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, as you also know, when it comes to career uh, chained events, uh, I tend to start, I tend to start doing that shift uh, much sooner than most others. Uh, and in accordance uh, this is why I, a data science team, am operating two production services. Um, so I am, I don't know if you would put a development organization as part of that support organization. I guess if it were a tool developer. It, it's a little different. I'm stretching a little bit. It's a little bit different yeah. than what uh, an infrastructure or a site reliability engineering team do in my case. Yeah, a, a non-trivial portion of my duties are in a supportive role. It, it's my job to generate insights that force other people to do things. Okay, so um, very close. We have teams that aren't in my org that do similar sorts of things for our business, as you could imagine. Right. Not, yes. at, not at Microsoft scale. They do it at Unity scale. Agreed. Let me move on to my original topic. I think there'll be some relevance to what you're doing, but of course, you've... Uh, of course, you've run test teams in the past, which I think very much fall into this bucket. Your oh, goal, for sure. Your goal as a test team isn't to find bugs. It isn't to write a bunch of automated tests. It isn't to run code coverage. It's to accelerate the achievement of shippable quality or accelerate the team's ability to ship or, as Principal One says, cellophane crackling in the background, 
or as principle one says, uh, (laughs) business value, business first. Right. So I'm curious, uh, you've run test teams a lot and you've run orgs like this. And of course, as probably as far back as Xbox one is when I first sort of fell into a role or a, a purely support role where I wasn't testing. You know what I realized for all the work I've done in testing, do you know when the last time that my job was to do testing even 70% of my day? Uh, it, it, Windows, Windows, I, no, it was uh, Windows 2000. Yeah, mine was. It was in, called NT5 at the time, but that was my last time I did full time testing. Yeah, for me, it was Schedule Plus, right? Which <laughs> ships with Office 95. <laughs> Because right. I went from IC to manager relatively quickly in my career. Um, the, but hindsight 2020, right? And I don't want to, like, even in the context, and I, I've shared this over and over again, right? I've kind of always shied away from roles that were, were too heavily focused on testing because, because, Quite honestly, the process of testing was awful. Well, what happened with me, and this is a little off topic, but I I enjoyed doing the testing, but then after a while, I enjoyed helping others get better and faster at it. So even, I got to think where I went from there. So I was testing full-time there, and then I joined the Windows <clears throat> Millennium team, and I did debugger development just because it was hard and fun and worked on debug windows and ended up... I don't think I wrote any tests. I was pretty much full-time debugging and doing some of the kernel dev, probably why it sucked so much. And after that, I Windows CE, I was a test architect there. Um, I helped others get stuff done. I ended up running the tools team there. I I managed some testers, but I just let them do their, their stuff. I mainly worked on tool development. And of course, I went to engineering excellence and taught testing. I, that's where I really studied testing. That's where I learned testing. That's when I had to study it so I could teach it. And then, yeah. And then after that, it was more test architect kind of stuff on link. And then um, definitely running the, the internal tools project as, as I did in Xbox, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And these days just running teams that support a larger part of the the company or the organization. Yeah. Hindsight 2020, like, and I've said this on the podcast before, like I was never really into testing. Right, I, I was far more interested in quality, and I, yeah, I said, yeah, I wanted to underscore that. That's the thing. I think that that will end any argument on testing versus checking, or it's like I don't give a shit. I care about quality. I don't care. Like the the craft is exciting as long as it leads towards customer quality. Right, anyway, and of on. course, of course. There is the semantic, you know, piggybacking off of episode 103, therein lies the semantic problem, right? Because uh, in in the camp that's pushing back on your article on the mindset discussion, they don't see a world where quality and testing are anything other than synonyms. And and, um, I don't know. I used to have a great set of skills around this, right? Uh, I have the one blog post uh, that actually raised a lot of eyebrows uh, and, and got people to sort of 
source of basically rethink it where and then I don't know if you remember, but I had a mentor back in the day and I'm like, Hey, why is it that uh, we don't see test people from test back when we had the functional roles here at Microsoft, we see tests ascending to, to the product unit manager role all that often. And his answer was like, Oh my God, that's like one of the simplest questions ever. Uh, it's, it's simply because the cust uh, the test doesn't understand the customer. And back in those days, thems were fighting words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are the customer, man. We're the last line of defense. Right, exactly. We're the, the we're the customer advocate. And right, and I, I go through that story, and I sat back to him, and and I, I walked through that story, and I and sat back, and you know, I was getting ready to bit flip him as a mentor. This was actually our first meeting. I won't tell it here. Maybe we we put a link into the blog post in the, in the show notes. But what resulted is I, of course, then had a huge community of of peers that were also test managers. And I'm like, you know what? I realized this dude's fucking right. I've, I've been having my head up my own ass on this for forever. And then I would share the story with the other test manager and I'm like, look, this is my perspective now. And I can't, I can't unsee it. Tell right. me where I'm wrong. Right, and this is why, um, and I'm gonna go off here because as you all may recall, regardless of our seventh principle, which says you may not need testers and don't you mean checkers? No, the most controversial as far as angry feedback we've had on the principles is the one where we say only the customer knows how to evaluate the quality of our products, which is absolutely right. And I get it. The feedback we get when, and again, we are not dictating this. This is us and our love and our study of Eric Reese and seeing how it works to actually get feedback and ship incrementally and get feedback from, from people actually using the product uh, via data. What we see, of, anyway, calming down, Brent's typing. <laughs> but the idea is we, we don't know. We just don't know how they use our stuff until we can see them use it or study how they use it through data. And the idea that test is there to act as the customer and be the customer and the subject matter expert for the feature is just a bunch of crap. And I can tell you, because you and I can both probably think of software that we tested the shit out of, is very functionally correct, and users can't figure out how to use it. Right. Because the problems we're trying to solve is spec correctness as, as our friend uh, Steve called out in his follow-up blog to the po to my post he's like yeah we've been spending all of our time focusing on spec correctness and making sure the spec was implemented to the letter but right. no one's no one's worried about does the customer care so I gotta is tell you once I wrote <laughs> <laughs> I wrote uh, in for Windows 98 some network API tests that not only created shares of every allowable length, I'm, I use some equivalence classes, but also every character that was possible on a Win9x machine, Japanese, Korean, Chinese, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And 
I ran all those tests and found a couple bugs, but it was a huge, 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 huge suite. It ran forever. It was super reliable because it was API level. It wasn't done through the UI. And does that mean those network APIs had no bugs? No, I, I, I just ran a lot of tests. I probably had good code coverage, but uh, I, in hindsight, I was dumb. Yeah, there's a lot of things. The other thing too, though, is I think back. What is that? Hold on, hold on. Yeah, there's a lot of things. What does that mean? I was trying to shift into (laughs) an an empathetic moment (laughs) where where you and I walk away, feel more connected and bonded together. That's not going to happen. (laughs) My beard's in the way. Uh, I I think through like those days, and and I don't know about you, but I'm uh, part of me is actively repressing those days, and as a result. I'm forgetting the other constraints, right? A lot of the things that we did back then were due to the fact that we're shipping. We we were shipping very slow. Yeah, and we yeah. Were shipping I, I remember com- under a year was considered a fast release. Right. We had no choice. We had no choice. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a different world, and we need to adapt. Oh, it, 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 yeah, I'm I'm there. <laughs> like. Uh, <coughs> customers get quality we in support orgs test included i think you know what's really fun is i can tell you my team's mission and uh you might uh i might have to pay a copyright tax to accelerate the achievement of shippable quality no it's 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 better so remember for me i manage all of our infrastructure site reliability engineering uh documentation quality coaches yes we have quality coaches Remember when we used to measure ratio? Well, our ratio of quality coaches to developers is about one to a hundred. Your mileage may oh. vary. Those are no, all that's... on my team. Uh, some other stuff too, I'm sure I'm forgetting. But all of the stuff that helps other parts of the company ship services. And mission, to enable, enable the success of developers at Unity in delivering high value products that our customers love. So we, right. are, there, it, it... we are there to enable success. Uh, it's not even enable success, right? Uh, like, don't fool yourself. It, it, it should be accelerate success. Right, right. I mean, by saying enable success, it, like the, the thought exercise that you, you yeah. can, I, I, can and, do and to readily. Be clear, the word enables there because there's a, uh, there's a division or organizational mission statement which starts with enable that I wanted to build on, but you, you are correct. Oh, all right. I'll just say, so I'll just finish the thought. Like, if you use the word enabled, then you, you right? It, just, it the implication is that if your organization wasn't there, right, you are that, correct. That success wouldn't happen, and that's probably false. However, your job, because you're there, is is to accelerate that success. Right? In, in this world where speed wins, that's the reason to get an org like yours in-house. We want to make it easy, fast, and safe. Yes. Easier, faster, safer. I'll work on that. But uh, so, but that's very similar to what Test did back in the day. Back before we had CICD, because you don't need it when you're shipping once every two years, uh, we did a lot of things. We did testing, of course. We tried the test quality in. We played bug ping pong all the time. But also, we were doing... We were involved in bug triage, trying to find the right bugs to fix, trying to get rid of... We did a lot of other little things and tools and 
diagnostic things to help with that. Yeah, I'm still. You I'm wrote a damn test back. harness. Yeah, I, where you no, screwed I up? Did. You should have marketed that purely to developers and said, "Testers, don't write these." Here you go. Yeah, that that would actually have been smart. Um, yeah, I, I architected that, got a patent on it. Uh, I just, uh, and then I wrote a. Right, the way I deployed it usage actually made that codependency loop we talked about so often way more efficient. Man, did we did that tool solidify codependency like anything yeah. else and, I've ever and seen? The lesson I've learned that helps with my org one get their job done and scale across the company. But two, just job satisfaction is nobody is ever put in a position where another team or a person is dependent on them to get their job done. Like yeah. everywhere from docs, like we have developers that have a lot of documentation, of course, then we can polish it and edit it on the uh, deployment side. Everyone, we have the you build it, you run it. We just make it easier for you to build it and run it. Easier, easier, faster, safer to build it and run it. Yeah, the thing, so winding back to the high-level topic, and, and we kind of got there, but the thing, like I think in a support organization, and, and you made a comment, hey, back in the day, Tess tried to make it easier, faster, safer. I Ish. Maybe safer, like easier and faster, no. We did not no, do we any did. of yeah, those we, things. We enjoyed being the bottleneck. It was part of the codependency. Yeah, 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 we're gonna we're stop you from Damn it, we're we have to. We oh, get this. We have to sign off. Yeah, yeah. I um, had, remember Boyd. Boyd on Xbox once sat me down. We're having a conversation. He told me, you know, ah, he's doing his kind of hippie thing. What is the role of test? And I, and I fished around for some answers to accelerate the achievement of shippable quality. <laughs> no, that's not it. To provide information to stakeholders. No, that's not it. The role no, of test God, that one. is to sign <laughs> off. Thought, well, that's a shitty answer, Boyd. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, <laughs> so, so if I sign off right now, uh, you know, can can I just you know drink beer in my office? But I, I got to tell you, just this week in one of my one-on-ones, one of my employees, we were talking about the org, and I can't remember what we were talking about. We, I, I. Uh, one of the things in just a tangent to the tangent in the one-on-ones there, I still have people who want to talk about status, what they did. And I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk, let's talk about stuff that makes us think. So usually, usually I steer them away pretty quickly and they kind of get it. Uh, I've only once had to say in a one-on-one, I don't want to talk about status. Usually they get it pretty quickly, which is great. But uh, we were talking about what's going on in the org and some strategic sort of stuff. And uh, this is a a person on my team. And I said, well, basically, we're a cost center for the org. Let's not think of it that way. Let's think of us as a business accelerant. Well, right. And so once you, once so it, you realize that... It was me rephrasing principle one because I think it applies to a... Yes. a, a uh, a DevOps or infra org just as much as it did test back in the day. Uh, we're an accelerant for the org, uh, but one, um, the, it's important that you you recognize that role. Like if you're in a support role, um, in, in this particular case, 
in your team, it's not all support roles are going to be an accelerant, I think. Um, but in your case, and, and in my prior test case, or test management career case, and as we mentioned, some degree even today, my job is to accelerate this, the achievement of shippable quality. And once you realize that you're an accelerant and that your whole value proposition is acceleration, then you can begin going down the path of defining for your organization what is the work you should be working on in some sort of return on investment. Order. Yeah, and, and the answer, the discussion that, it, that we, the subsequent conversation, uh, again, faster, better, quick, what did I say? Faster, better. Easier, faster, safer. Easier, faster, safer. Jesus, I'm dumb. Easier, faster, safer. I said, well, how long does it take for, what's our pipeline time like? And I know the answer. It's super fast. Like our longest one, if everything goes wrong, is about 40 minutes. But most nice. most most of the time emerge to emerge to main and it's live within twenty minutes. Okay. Yeah, we can always tweak the without the bottleneck. He said, Yeah, we're already fine there. What can we do? So should we speed that up? I said, No, but let me ask you this. When we hire someone, brand new person in the org, how long until they're fully productive on the team? Oh yeah, we can and right now I don't know what the number is. Anecdotally we can ask managers, it is not good. Uh, measured that, in months. I would say my guess is measured in months. We know anecdotally, at least, it's, we can do better there. So let's, let's, let's do that. You know, you and I could brainstorm and think of 20 things we could do today to make that better. Let's start measuring that, get that faster. Theory of constraints, you have to, which and systems thinking yeah, go together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to look at the system and figure out, okay, where's our biggest bottleneck? So if you look back, like, I mean, it's slow. Let's look at the whole process even beyond Systems is always a system within a system. So today I have an open headcount. It may take me some amount of time to get a job rec in with recruiting and get that posted and go through re resume feedback and interviews and then get them to quit their old job to start and that there's some time lag there. That's all part of a larger system. So I want to make that faster too. But the first thing we can do is just make the whole onboarding faster. But if you look at the system, you're going to find other things that are slow. What are the things that don't make it? What are the things that make it more difficult to be easy, fast, and quick? That's a key thing. That's a key thing for me. Like I'm still focusing on. Uh, so I have two phases. The first thing is okay, before they even started, how do I reduce ramp up time to near zero? Yeah. That, that's number one. And, and my definition of ramp up time is essentially the idle period before they start doing something useful. Mm -hmm. yep. And then the second phase is, is how do I get them to autonomy as quickly as possible? autonomously capable would be better because yeah, uh, i'm sure there are some some uh good survey questions we can ask because our org does sort of an nsat survey twice a year to figure out how developers are doing but we could shove that in there but i just thinking a perfect world imagine this imagine this uh we get our interview process streamlined enough that if we like somebody we can give them an offer at the end of the day and they are shipping meaningful code on their first day at work. That's, I mean, 
I like the idea of the big hairy audacious goal. Just say that's the goal. If you fall a little short, you're still in pretty good shape. But that's what I want to do. I just decided. No, I I, I want off, uh, offers on the days of the day of the interview, and I want them shipping meaningful code on their first day. And and like rallying cries are super effective. And if you just say, look, offer by end of day. That's what I want. Offer by the end of the day. Right. And if if you don't set a clear, simple goal like that, obviously, if you never start, you're never going to get there. Right. And so Ooh, that's just setting deep, deep. deep right. I know. Deep. Right. Uh, it, it's it's sadly a phrase I use at least once a week. <laughs> right. It, it's because there's a it, there's still a lot of push, not push, but a lot of people uh, in the company I work in uh, that are still, you know, the big de- design up front is safer. And yeah, yeah, it's the way it's it's the way it's always been. It's easier. It's what they're comfortable with. Yeah, and I'm just like, so now I actually have a reputation, so I'm out actually allowed. I can do things I couldn't do even just a couple of years ago. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not interested in investing in that then. They're like, what? I'm going to give you eight heads. Yeah, you can keep the heads. I don't, I don't really care. But, but why? It, 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 well, number one, uh, the work you want to do is not anything in this decade that is useful to build a career. <laughs> like, like, you're asking, I mean, hire vendors uh, is, is going to be my answer to that particular thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the other one is, um, where's the ROI? I, 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 I just don't, I'm not seeing, given, I'm not seeing any path to sort of a, a, a guaranteed ROI. And me as a data scientist now, which is just great, because I have access to all sorts of data that says the matter, it does not matter how much big design and how much upfront you do, there is a, a huge degree of uncertainty in almost every scenario that I've talked talk through with folks recently that by the time, even if it was a three-month project, by the time that rolled out, still a degree of, of so many variables that you can't even know that it's going to foobar the whole thing. Oh, that reminds me of the topic I wanted to pick for today, which was, and I have another, another tangent on top of that, but the topic was shipping, like something we're struggling with, avoiding the what's Alan doing at work is, helping teams figure out how to take a huge complex prog project and ship it incrementally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so now I'm at a point where, uh, and we would just bore ourselves because you and I know how to do that. It just, it's right. It's, it's but the, it's, so it's the, the one coaching thing is, and teaching of that to get people to get that, which is the, the challenge of course. In terms of me right now, like the people who come and engage with me, I have, my team has built up such a positive relationship. I can skip over that. I'm like, look, yeah, I'm not having that discussion. I have so much work to do. I'm going to prioritize the folks that are, are willing to join this particular party. Now, if it is something that I can clearly see a bunch of opportunity 
uh, and uh, that will that will attract me first. And if I can clearly see a bunch of opportunity, then they engage me with this, then I just take over and I say, no, look, here's the thing. That's not what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to do this incrementally and after we're going to break this down into smaller releases that can be done in, in a, in a two week cycle. And we're going to have a moment after those releases to judge the success and repivot. I'm not spending three months with you to go through and come up with a perfect design. I'm telling you, I've tried to do this before and it's a waste of my team's time. Well, one of the things we've talked about in the way, I run our programs in our org is the P50 estimate. So that it gets rid of big design up front, but it also gets rid of running off like a, like a scared panda in the wrong direction or the, or the ready fire aim. We could just say no estimates, but let's give a vague estimate based on a probability. It's not vague. It's an estimate based on a probability. And if you're wrong, you'll discuss why in the retro and you'll get better. And most teams get pretty good at this over time. But the P50 estimate keeps people from uh, trying to overplan. In fact, we have, it's a long story for uh, a few minutes before the podcast is ending, but we have uh, a very efficient way of keeping track of when projects are in planning too long and encouraging people not to overplan but to plan enough where they have 50% confidence in the date they choose. And that's it. And it works out very well. Across the org, we shipped like 400. We released 400 customer impacting, 450, something like that, customer impacting projects last year. Some were late, some were early, a lot were on time, but we made progress. And, and that, that P50 estimate is a sweet spot for velocity. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was thinking through back in the day when I was engaging with PMs uh, uh, that came from the more waterfall model and they were working with me and they would come to me and say, okay, so what's your commit date for this? Uh, I was doing a pure Kanban. And as you know, in a pure Kanban, yeah. that's a question that doesn't make sense. And I tried feebly to say, sorry, that's not how we execute. But in some regards, that, the, uh, and I got question, feedback on this P50 estimate saying, you know, I don't believe in estimates. Don't give it just, just work and things will work out. Like I, my business says I got to give dates. I, I work too closely with product managers and marketing people and they have to have an idea, an idea and they get P50. They know there can be changes, but an idea when things are going to be complete. Right, because other there there are downstream dependencies. Of course. And what they're trying to do is is get those res because it's a big system and your team's system is an important system, but it's actually part of a larger system. Yeah. And unless you are able to do like I could when I started off, unless you're able to own the sort of whole slice end to end, um you you need to you need to give a, a a set of dates because you have downstream dependencies and it's expensive to have them sitting waiting around being idle, right? It, it's it's much makes much more business sense than just simply oh they're making me commit to a date so I cut corners or any other thing like that. No, that's how it feels, but that's not what is happening. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So I feel like uh, we had a weaving river of stream of thought that took us to this point. And yet I still feel like we hit a few good points that may be relevant to some of our listeners. So next time uh, I will talk about exploratory test automation. Maybe. Awesome. Looking or forward to it. Or whatever questions come in. You can always ask questions on one of the com. Also a quick plug if you'd like to spend a half hour with me on a Zoom call and have yourself recorded, I haven't done an ABT 343 in a long time. I'd love to have you on. If you just have a huge topic to share or something to discuss, uh, we're happy to have some people on the big podcast as well. Let us know for a small fee. Just kidding. But especially some of the longtime listeners, it'd be great to have you on uh, as we wind our way towards episode 200. Yeah. <laughs> I, may not, I may not live that long alright everybody I am Alan and Alan's beard and that's the AB testing podcast Why, why are you still listening? Nope. It's over. It's over. Goodbye. Goodbye.